Hi, I'm Josh and welcome to the Wild Nature Photography Podcast, the podcast that talks the art and craft of nature photography. It's the 10th of June 2021 and this is podcast number four. And it is wet, wild and windy here in Melbourne at the moment weather-wise. We have had a couple of days of very strong winds, there are trees down, the garden is a mess and unfortunately it's not even the sort of weather you really want to get out and photograph in. It's not that kind of dramatic weather. It's just been windy and nasty really. So I thought I'd take the opportunity while I'm indoors to have that talk about megapixels and that's going to be the topic of today's podcast. We're going to talk about how many megapixels is actually enough and we're going to talk about that in the context of real world applications. So you know megapixels are somewhat of a divisive topic amongst photographers so it's worth taking a moment to put a caveat in place if you like that my thoughts and comments really, really relate to 35mm digital sensors and not larger medium format sensors or smaller micro four third sensors. But you know, regardless of sensor size, one thing does hold true with, uh, with current technologies, and that is that the smaller the sensor and the smaller the size of the pixel, and thus the well that captures the actual photons, the higher the noise will be at a given ISO. So, you know, irrespective of the science and physics involved, there remains a lot of misinformation and often deliberate misdirection on the internet about this topic. So I hope today's podcast will help clear up the murky waters of, of how many megapixels is enough in real world applications. You know, I'm not a uh, digital sensor uh, scientist, so we're not going to delve too much into, into that side of the, uh, of, the, of the topic. There is a lot of math and physics behind um, digital camera sensors, and I really want to focus on the real-world application side of how many megapixels is enough, because I think that's what's most important to, to most photographers out there and, and is what really matters in our day-to-day -day photography. Now, I guess sort of a fun analogy to get us started, if you like, uh, megapixels are a little bit like calories in food. They, you know, they measure uh, quantity, but not quality. It's the same way the number of calories in a meal doesn't say much about its nutritional value. The number of pixels in a camera doesn't say anything about the image quality either. Because what we can take away from that analogy is that it's the quality of the pixels that count, not the quantity. And that's something that a lot of people forget and neglect when they're looking at purchasing a new camera and they're you know, considering how many megapixels they should get and the marketing's telling them that they need more and that more is better. And that simply isn't the case. So we're going to examine that today and talk about why the quality of the pixel is, is so important. And quality is a complex metric. You know, it's based on a combination of the camera's optics, image sensor design, firmware, engineering, and its pixels, but not its megapixel count. And that's the key takeaway. So when we're talking about how many megapixels is really enough in actual real world applications, we have to look at output. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now output is everything. Now where megapixels do matter is the size you want your final photograph to actually be. You need to have a camera whose megapixel count suits how you plan to share your photographs. Now this is particularly important if you plan to print your photographs because print quality really depends on having enough pixel data to define the picture. And we'll talk a little bit about that when we, um, when we discuss printing a little bit later. Now, let's just talk about uh, output for a moment. So when we talk about output, what are the output options? So I guess the first one and the most obvious that most people are going to these days, and I'd say most being by far the majority of photographers, is web. So web, uh, whether it's social media or a website or whatever it might be, web seems to be the most common 
uh, output for most photographers these days. Then of course there's print, and that includes fine art print, um, even commercial print as well, and then books, and then of course there is also um, the new high quality fine art digital display where people are displaying photographs in their home on uh, OLEDs or plasma screens. So let's talk about web first because of, of all these output options, as I say, this is the one I think most photographers are using the most. And if we really look at the resolution of images that's displayed on the internet today, most of it is sub 2K resolution. There are a few websites out there displaying 4K images, but most of it's sub 2K, which means realistically, you can get away with a camera that's perhaps as low as four megapixels if you're just shooting for the internet. Now, no one's shooting four megapixel cameras today. I don't think you can actually even buy a four megapixel camera anymore. So you're going to have a lot more pixels than you need, but you certainly don't need 20, 30, 40, or 50 megapixels if your primary output is the internet. Uh, of course, everything depends on the size of the image that you're going to display on, online, but even on the highest, um, if you like, the highest resolution websites out there, most of them are 4K at best. Uh, certainly when it comes to things like social media websites, uh, images are displayed at a much lower resolution, often, you know, 1024 by 768 or lower in pixel resolution, and often the image itself gets crunched by the uh, algorithm that compresses it when you upload it. So when it comes to internet use, really four megapixels is all we, all, is ample. It's all we really, really need. So that's the primary output that I see from most photographers today. So there is really no requirement to be shooting 30, 40, 50 megapixels or even more in some of the medium format cameras up to 150 megapixels. If your primary output is simply the internet, there's just no requirement for it. All you're really doing is creating a storage headache for yourself. So that's the that's if we look at the, the real output for, for web. Now, if we look at books as an example, and we'll come to print because uh, Print and books are a little bit, um, overlap a little bit because books are obviously printed media. You know, a 7.2 megapixel file is enough for an 8x10 print at 300 pixels per inch. Now, 300 pixels per inch is widely accepted amongst fine art photographers as more than you need, or the right amount rather, for producing a really high quality fine art print. Now, you can use less, you can use more, but 300 is generally accepted as ideal. So that means if you've got a 7.2 megapixel file to make a, an 8x10 print at 300 pixels per inch, that's more than enough for any book project. You know, most photography books comprise of images that are 8x10 or less. So if you're working in book projects as a photographer, realistically, you could get away with a camera that's perhaps as low as 8 megapixels. Now, again, a little bit like web, the same thing sort of applies. I don't think you can actually buy an 8 megapixel camera anymore. I think nowadays the lowest is about 16. So you're going to have basically twice as much as you need uh, in that particular, uh, in a camera with 16 megapixels if your primary output is books. So that's an important consideration as well. Now, if we move along from books to print, because I say the two of them are kind of interrelated, then if we look at output, we need to decide, well, how large do we really want to print our photographs? Because the size we want to print the photograph determines how many megapixels we want to need, we need without having to go to some upraising. So in my own case, you know, my standard sort of contact print size is... Um, you know, I like to print on 13 by 19 inch paper and I like to print 16 inches on the long edge. Now that gives me a nice one and a half inch margin on either side of the paper that I can hold the print. And, you know, in order to print an image that's 16 inches on the, on the long edge, 
I really only need a, um, a camera with about 16 or 17 megapixels. Now I'm shooting with the Canon EOS 1DX Mark III cameras, which are just a little over 20 megapixels, and a 20 megapixel file will roughly let me make a, you know, sort of a 20 to 22 inch print on the long edge without any up-resing required. And that'll, uh, at 300 pixels print, so that'll create a beautiful fine art print. And it's very rare that I actually need to go much larger than that in print. And if I do, if I'm going to 20 by 30 or even 40 by 60, the up-resing algorithms that are available nowadays from Topaz and Adobe and others are so good that I can create beautiful 20 by 30s and 40 by 60s from a 20 megapixel file. So that's a very important consideration as well. Uh, how big are you going to print and how often are you going to print very, very large? Because typically speaking, for most photographers who are printing their work, they're printing at usually on 13 by 19 inch paper and smaller, and occasionally they're going to wall-sized art of 20 by 30 or perhaps even 30 by 40. I know when I'm making very large prints for gallery sale, uh, sometimes up to 40 by 60 inches. Using uh, uh, up-resing up algorithms from someone like Topaz, I can create an absolutely beautiful print from my file. And the reason for that is because the quality of those pixels is so good. And that really makes all the difference in the world when you're creating fine art prints. You know, as they like to say, as I like to say in the printing world, you sort of can't create a, a silk purse from a sow's ear. It's garbage in, garbage out. So you have to start with a really high quality file, low noise, sharp, well-processed, and then you can make a beautiful large print. So in the context of how many megapixels are enough in, uh, for real-world applications in printing, in my case, 20 to 21, which is what's in the 1DX Mark III, is ample. It's, uh, it's not too much, it's not uh, too low. It's enough for me to make a really beautiful fine art print. Uh, and if I need to up-res a little bit, I can. That's a big benefit as well. Some of these up-resing algorithms now are getting so good uh, particularly the last generations, that it's very difficult to tell uh, the difference between uh, a file shot natively um, at, a, at a very high print size and one that's shot at a lower resolution. So let's talk a little bit more for a moment about um, the other output option, which is digital fine art display. Now, this is something that's sort of starting to come on in the art market now of displaying images digitally in the home instead of in a traditional print mat board and, and uh, frame. And if you're going to be displaying to dis plasma displays or OLED displays or LCD, or whatever the technology might be that you're using, uh, it's worth um, making a note of what the resolution of that display is because most displays, uh, 4K or less, uh, meaning if you're shooting a 4K or less, you're going to be able to get away again with a very, very low megapixel camera if that's your primary output. Uh, the same rules apply as before though, you know, you really can't buy much in the way of cameras below 16 megapixels these days, so they've got, you're going to have plenty of resolution if that's your primary output. Now it is worth talking about uh, cropping power because cropping power is a very valid argument for having more megapixels. Now most professional photographers, I know myself included in this, we tend to be very careful when we're framing the photograph and we don't usually have a lot of spare real estate left over. So. Typically, we're not very aggressive, in, or certainly myself, I'm not very aggressive in my cropping most of the time. Uh, I generally try and use the frame as much as I can, and if I do need to crop in post-production, it's usually a small refinement of the image rather than a major hit that would affect the resolution of the photograph. So that, you know, if you are heavily, if you're prone to heavy cropping of your image though, and very aggressive cropping of your image, that's something that you should take into consideration when you're determining how many megapixels you might actually need.
So let's say you're typically throwing away 25 to 30% of, of an image in, by cropping it, or perhaps even as high as 50%, then you should probably allow 50 to 75% more pixels uh, when choosing a camera than you might otherwise have chosen for your given output. And that'll just give you that cropping power. Now, of course, it's nice to have cropping power there if you need it. And cropping power is a very good argument for a higher megapixel camera. But the problem that you run into with higher megapixel cameras, well, there are several problems actually in real-world applications. One of the first of which is to recognize that the higher the megapixel count in a 35mm digital sensor, the higher the noise is going to be at a given ISO. Now, the reason for that is because the well size, where the actual photons get captured, gets smaller and smaller as the pixel density increases. So it gets harder for those photons to get into the wells. And as a result of that, noise increases. So typically, and as an example, a 20 megapixel camera at ISO 800 all other factors being equal, is going to have lower noise than a 50 megapixel camera at ISO 800, simply because it's easier for the light to get into the well size, into the well, because the well is larger in the 20 megapixel camera. So it will produce a cleaner file. A cleaner file can be up more easily, to, often to very, very large sizes, and produce a beautiful fine art print. So that's something that's worth taking into consideration and, and it harks back to what I was saying at the start of this podcast where it's not the quantity of the pixels that counts, it's the quality of the pixel. And that's really, really important. Now that little comparison I just did really holds true when you're comparing sensors of the same technology. So if you start comparing you know, um, stacked backlit sensors against non-stacked backlit sensors, then the, you're throwing another variable into the mix there. Now, we're starting to see from Canon with their R3 coming out, that's going to have their first uh, stacked backlit sensor. So it'll be very interesting to see how, what the final pixel count in that is and how the quality of those pixels compares to some of the higher megapixel cameras that are on the market and are being offered to photographers today. Now, the other consideration with regards to high megapixel cameras is the storage requirements. So in real world applications as a nature photographer, I'm typically shooting 50 to 70,000 photographs a year. And I shoot a lot of wildlife and a lot of it's shot at very high speed, you know, 15, 20, even 30 frames a second. So I'm capturing a lot of photographs. Now, if I'm capturing a lot of photographs in the field, I'm very, very quickly going to fill up my memory cards if I'm shooting 50 megapixel files. And you know, I don't want to be filling up some of these very expensive, very large memory cards too often. Uh, and of course, the other thing to take into consideration is the higher the megapixel count, the more CPU and graphics processing power you're going to need to, to work with those files in a timely manner. And of course, that costs money as well. So certainly from a professional standpoint in wildlife, nature, uh, sports, um, news, journalism, wedding, and even to some degree portraiture, all the photographers in those genres who work professionally will generally recognize that something in the order of 20 to 24, perhaps 30 megapixels is actually all they really need uh, to meet all their applications that they have for their photographs. Because most of their photographs are gonna be used either online or if they are going to print, it'll be magazines or wedding albums or this sort of thing where the print sizes are typically eight by 10 or smaller. Uh, and again, 24 megapixels is more than enough for that sort of application. Typically with sports photographers especially, a lot of them nowadays are no longer shooting to cards. They're actually shooting directly um, wirelessly tethered to a laptop. And those images are being processed and put straight out to, to news websites. So they don't want to be having to push 50 megapixel files at 15, 20, 30 frames a second around their Wi-Fi network 
uh, it would just collapse. So it just makes a lot more sense to shoot at a lower resolution, higher quality pixel. Now in my own uh, genre of nature and wildlife photography, it's important to recognize that a lot of the best photographs that I make, and this will apply to anyone who's really serious about their nature photography, are generally made at fairly low light levels. And the reason for that is because that's when the light is best. It's when it's softest, at the beginning and at the end of the day, and it's also typically when the wildlife is most active. So wildlife photography in particular is a balancing act between enough shutter speed to freeze the action but not going too high in the ISO so you have too much noise in the file. So that's why wildlife photographers in particular, you know, we would happily trade uh, some megapixels for better high ISO performance any day of the week because quite often we're forced to shoot at quite high ISO in order to freeze the wildlife action in low light. And again, the quality of the pixels matters a lot more to us than how many of those pixels we actually have. Now, the camera marketing companies love to sell cameras by selling us that this one has more megapixels and you know a lot of people who are coming into photography for the first time will fall for that that more is better rather than realizing that, or taking the time to do the research that you know it's not the number of pixels that counts but the quality of those pixels so that's the main you know that's the main takeaway i think that's we need to keep in mind when we're talking about how many megapixels is enough look at output what are your output needs uh, are you going to web? Are you going to print books? And what sort of media are you going to? And work out how many megapixels you need for that. And that will give you a fantastic, um, you know, fantastic amount of uh, resolution for what you're doing without wasting a lot of pixels and taking up a lot of storage based on hard drives and SSD drives. Now there is one more aspect to this we should touch on and it's quite a technical one and that is the rather thorny issue of diffraction. And I don't want to go too much into the science of diffraction because there's a lot behind it. And if you're interested in looking it up, you can you can you know jump on the internet and, and do a bit of a search for diffraction and do do some reading. There's some very scientific papers that have been published on this, but I think it would be a fairly boring podcast if I was to just spend the next 30 to 40 minutes talking about diffraction. But you know there is a uh, it is important to recognise though that. Um, you know, diffraction occurs when light enters through an aperture and has to bend to get into the well of the sensor. Now, the smaller the aperture in the lens, the more the light is going to have to bend and the harder it's going to be for those photons to get into the wells. Now, if the wells are very small, as they are in a high megapixel camera, what's going to happen is that you're going to run into diffraction sooner than you will on a lower megapixel camera. Now, it's not that the image will look any worse once you've hit diffraction at a 50 megapixel camera. It's just that it won't look any better. So you won't get all the benefits of that extra resolution once you hit diffraction. Now diffraction is more of an issue in nature photography for landscape photographers who are typically chasing depth of field in their photographs. Whereas in wildlife, we're typically shooting most of the big telephoto lenses close to wide open. So generally they're close to their optimum aperture and you're not likely to run into diffraction. Uh, nature photographers who are shooting a lot of landscape on very high resolution 35mm sensors, like the Sony A1 for example, are much more likely to run into diffraction issues. You know, if you're stopping down your wide angle lens to f14 for example because you need that depth of field, you're almost certainly going to be diffraction limited at that point in time 
regardless of the quality of the lens that you've got on the camera. And what that means is that you, you just won't get the benefit of all those 50 megapixels in the final photograph. You know, you'll, some of the corners, you'll just lose detail and you'll lose resolution. It's not going to look any worse than if you'd shot the image on a lower megapixel camera, but again, it just won't look any better. So diffraction is an important consideration as well. And if you are into the science of um, understanding what the optimum aperture is for, um, for a given photograph at a given lens and a given subject, this is something that you should definitely take into consideration. Um, I've seen examples of this in my own landscape work shooting high resolution 35mm sensors where I have struggled with trying to achieve enough depth of field in my photograph but running into diffraction and not having the ability to take advantage of all those megapixels. So diffraction is an important consideration as well. As I say it's something that you're more likely to run into with a wide angle lens or perhaps even a medium telephoto lens or 70mm or something like that where you have that requirement to stop down the lens enough for depth of field but you're trading off depth of field there for diffraction so that just keep that in mind if you're a landscape photographer that uh, sometimes more pixels is not necessarily better uh, if you're fighting against uh, depth of field and diffraction so I think you know we should just sum up at this point um, and just talk again about you know output and recognizing that you should choose how many megapixels you need for your given output and that's really I think uh, optimum the optimum way to go about doing this and think about real-world applications rather than the specifications on paper because the specifications on paper might read very well but how that translates to actual real-world use uh, is another issue you know it's quite hard for a manufacturer to say what the quality of a pixel is uh, in their data sheet you know, but they can certainly tell you how many of them there are. And that's what the marketing company, uh, our marketing aspect of a camera company will use to try and often sell a camera. So that's my thoughts on how many megapixels are enough in real world applications for myself as a nature photographer, you know, shooting the Canon EOS 1DX Mark uh, III cameras at the moment, 20 to 21 megapixels in that order. That's plenty uh, for almost all the applications that I that I do in, in real world use. Even when I get called on to make very large prints for projects, I've just made a number of very large prints to go into a, um, a private chalet overseas and all of those uh, prints were up-resed and were created from 1DX Mark III files and came out absolutely beautiful. So that is, there's a lot to think about there with megapixels. Uh, this is something I get asked a lot, so I wanted to take some time and talk about it today. Uh, I think we've covered it all, but if you've got any queries on this, you can uh, drop me a note, or if you've got any thoughts on how many megapixels are enough in a different application, please let me know. A little bit of other news and a reminder, I've got my webinar coming up courtesy of Ben Q this month on the 16th of June. It's going to be all about winter wildlife photo photography and how to take better photographs of wildlife in winter. I'm going to be talking about everything from winter clothing to equipment to techniques. We're going to dive a little bit into color management as well. Now it is a free webinar but you will need to register for it. We, uh, we had too many attendees last time and we actually couldn't accommodate everybody. So please, if you are interested in coming along to that, make sure you register. Jump over to my blog and I'll put also a, um, a link to register in the show notes so that if you're keen to come along to that, you can. And uh, hopefully I will see you there. Thanks very much. I'm Josh. This has been the Wild Nature Photography Podcast and I look forward to seeing you out there in the field.